0: Um, but let's get into the Word tonight. Let's get into the Word. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Last week, we looked at chapter 15 where Saul was finally and, and soundly rebuked by uh, Samuel um, for him not following through on the commandment of God. When God told Saul to go and attack the Amalekites to wipe out everything, women, child, infant, everything, and, and that sounds foreign to our ears. Um, but one thing you have to understand is that uh, children, uh, God, God is a good judge, okay? You don't have to worry about God not being fair. He is the one who is more fair than any judge all the Supreme Court judges together, <laughs> and even beyond that, he is, he is an affair judge. And God knows, I believe that when children are, when their lives are taken at a very young age, and there's some scriptural backing up of this, not a great deal, but I, but I believe because God is good that those children, they go to, they go to glory. And it be, only becomes a, an issue when they become old enough to understand their sin nature and they understand the gospel and reject it, then they're accountable to that truth and then they are judged accordingly. But I think children, I believe children, um, and so there's a mercy there that you know we could go into that. But I, I, I really, um, I'll just stop there because we could uh, spend some time there. But it's an important thing to consider because God is not an angry God. He's not this vengeful, hateful God as some people have portrayed Him. He's quite the opposite. In fact, the more I study the Bible, the more I know Jesus myself. The more I realize He is a. a He is more loving and compassionate, and I'm just blown away at his grace. Even in the Old Testament, you hear people reading of the Old Testament, and they think, well, the God of the Old Testament is this wrathful thing, just, you know, wanting to kill people, and it's far from the truth. It's far from the truth. If you look carefully, there is grace all over that place. There's grace all over the Old Testament. And God is the same. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the bottom line is God tells Saul a very easy command. Well, it's not easy maybe to implement, but he said, I want you to go into the Amalekites for what they did to the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And because of what they did, and because they're a wicked people, by the way, okay, God is not capricious like some gods, like the God of Islam, Allah, who is really not a god at all. The Bible says he's a demon, He's a demon. It's a false God. And any false God other than than God the Father, Jehovah God is a demonic being. And so, but the God of Islam is very capricious. Just kill. Just kill. If they're not not one of us, kill them. But see, Jesus never calls us to kill anybody, especially now. I mean, there's a reason for all of that, but we won't get into that either tonight because we'll derail the service. But God is just. He's just. And Saul... Given a very clear command he, he doesn 't follow through with it all the way, and this is the second time, at least the second or third time, where Saul had an opportunity to show obedience, and he would not he He did not he didn 't kill uh, all the people like God had told him to because of their sin and their, their idolatry he didn 't kill the king he didn 't uh, he spared the very best of the things of the flock when he should have destroyed those animals too, the cows and the sheep and everything. And he didn't do that either. And God cannot use a man or a woman who is self-willed because he's not going to argue. He's not going to wrestle us. You know, we got to come on his terms and be willing to obey him. And, um, and so finally Saul had to be, um, um, the Lord had to rebuke Saul and he basically deposed him. And, and certainly the Lord knew all of this in advance. It was no surprise to God that Saul would do these things. But God had already had on his heart and his mind another man. And we know his name because we're going to read about him tonight, David. God had always had on his heart a man after his own heart. And David was such a man. And all the time that Saul is ruling and reigning, because he reigned and ruled for 40 years in Israel, And all, you know, during a chunk of that time, David is out in the field shepherding his father's flock of sheep. And David is learning so many life lessons out there in the, in the fields, in the valleys where the sheep are. He's learning how to take care of them. He's learning how to defend them. He's learning responsibility. And the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray and God is searching us out. He is he's got that little staff in his hand and he loves to just wrap it around us and bring us closer and speak words of love to us if we're willing. He's always going after us in a loving way because he knows what's best for you and he wants you to be where he is ultimately. I think sometimes God wants us to be with him more than we want to be with him. Especially the people outside of the church, they they don't even know what they're missing right? And that's why we have to tell them. We have to tell them what they're missing because it is such a glorious future. It really is. I mean, not only for the future, but even now. I mean, can anybody attest that your life, since you've given your heart to Christ, that your life is, is better now than it ever has been? It, it really is. It's not without complications. It's certainly difficult. It can be challenging. But there's a peace There's a peace and there's a contentment and there's a a hope because you know where you're going. Not because of any righteousness that any of us have done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. His finished work, that is all that matters. It's the only thing that could have gotten us into heaven to begin with is what he did on the cross. That one sacrifice. God Almighty going to the cross in the flesh for you and I, paying the price that I deserve. Because what do I deserve? What do you deserve? I hate to say it but we all deserved hell. <laughs> Nobody likes to talk about that but that's the truth. That's what we deserve. But aren't you glad that God's heart is I don't want you to go to that place. But a God of love has to do that. And he 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 he, he will take the choice that you make and honor that choice. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You make the decision. You make the decision. So let's read the first 16, um, our first 13 verses of this, and then we'll just get right into it. Notice in chapter 16, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Because if you remember in the, in the previous couple of verses, it says in verse 34, It says, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gabeah of Saul and Samuel no more went no more to see Saul until the day of his death which we're going to find out is actually several chapters away from now and it's not until chapter 31 that Saul is killed in battle but notice it says uh, nevertheless Samuel mourned for Saul even though God had told him your your ministry your kingship your lordship over my people is done You've been rejected, Saul, because of your disobedience and your self will, and I'm choosing another man. And Saul didn't know who that was at the time, but he knew someone was going to be put in his place. And Saul went on to reign for a number of years. And we're going to see that David was the one who was on the run because Saul became so jealous of David for his musical ability. We're going to see that tonight. He was jealous of him because of his warrior. You know, he was a warrior. And he was a good fighter. He was a, um, an excellent man. He had an excellent heart about him. He was honest. He was dependable. And on top of that, he was a good, good-looking, red-headed kid. <laughs> and Saul was insanely jealous over this man. And what started off, we'll find out tonight, he loved him at the beginning when Saul first met him. And then as time went on, it began, David's character began to expose Saul's rotten character. And Saul became so bitterly jealous. Isn't that funny about love? I mean, he really did. It says that he he loved him dearly. And yet as time went on, it exposed who Saul really was. And Saul became hateful of him so much that he would, for years, be hunting him. And David, would already being anointed king by Samuel, he would be on the run. And he wouldn't be king for a number of years until Saul died in chapter 31 at the Philistines' hand. But David, so it says in 16 here, verse 16, chapter 16, excuse me. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears me? hears of it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer, which is a female cow, Take her with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. Notice that. Underline that, actually, in your Bible. Samuel did what the Lord said. It's that simple. (laughs) We'll come back to that later. And then he went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep And Samuel said to Jesse, "'Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here.' So he went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, "'Arise, anoint him, for this is the one.' And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah, went back home. Samuel, that's his hometown, his hometown. So let's go back and look at verse one here and we'll get into this. Notice, you know, the Lord speaking to Samuel, how long will you mourn for him? You know, Samuel and Saul had this interesting relationship and Saul was really like a young son in in, in a sense to Samuel. Samuel was this older statesman really of the faith, a a judge and certainly a prophet, a, a man highly respected. We saw in earlier chapters, just a few chapters ago, how Saul really looked up to Samuel. I mean, he really was the the guy who was holding the heart of Israel, really, because of his character. And Saul was showing himself to be very flimsy and very like Mercury, just kind of moving all around, not really stable at all. And yet Samuel was the stable one. And yet God gave the people of Israel, what they wanted. They wanted a king like all the other nations. It's funny, even nations have peer pressure. You know, you may look at somebody and think, well, I wish I had that. I wish I was that gifted. I wish I was that good looking. I wish I had the talents that this person has. I wish I had this ability like this person has. And even nations do that. They look at each other and go, well, you've got a big nuclear arsenal. Well, we want a big nuclear arsenal. You've got new Trident submarines. We want the latest. We want the ones made by, you know, um, you know Elon Musk or something. I don't know what, you know, they, they, they want the, the best. And they want to outdo each other. The same thing. But how long will you mourn for Saul? How long are you going to mourn for him, Samuel? Seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, And this Jesse the Bethlehemite, he means Jesse of Bethlehem. Jesse of Bethlehem. And we know that Bethlehem is the house of bread. And Bethlehem is about five miles. uh, If you were to look at a map of Israel, Bethlehem is about five miles south of Jerusalem and actually about 10 miles south of where Samuel lived in Ramah. So if you think of it, here's Ramah, and then Jerusalem is right here, and then Bethlehem is right here. And literally almost a straight line along a, a, a road, a very common road of that time. And so for Samuel to travel from Ramah, he would, also, he would not only have to go through Jerusalem to get down to Bethlehem, but he'd also have to go through Gabeah, which is right there along the road, not too far, and that's the hometown of Saul. And so we're going to see why that'll be interesting here shortly. But the first time we hear of Jesse, this Bethlehemite, is actually in the book of Ruth. Remember, Ruth was David's great-grandmother. King David's great-grandmother was a Gentile. Her name was Ruth. She was a Moabitess from Moab. And at the very last chapter of Ruth, in chapter 7, or verse 17 of chapter 4, it says, And, and the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a, a son born to Naomi. It's really not to Naomi. It was really to Ruth, but it's kind of a long story. She's really the grandmother. And they called his name Obed. And then his, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And it says, Now this is the genealogy, Perez, genealogy of, of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Abinadab, Abinadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Solomon, Solomon begat Boaz, who we know is um, um, Ruth and Boaz, and they had uh, Obed, and then Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And so we see the lineage there, and uh, it's pretty fascinating to understand that. I remember in a few years ago, actually, I guess it was in 2005 now, we were in Israel, and we traveled uh, south to, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and the bus was driving along this, this road, and it was a big field, and, and, and so the bus stopped, and we got out, and there were these two, shepherd, two teenage shepherds, a boy and a girl, and they are both teenagers, and they had a bunch of sheep out there, and we we stopped the bus, we got out, and the, 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 they, they came over to us. They came over to us, and it was just like a scene out of, it's so surreal, really. And uh, I remember there was this one woman who was with us, her name, um, oh, brother, it doesn't matter, but she was a 92-year-old woman, really sweet lady, she was in a wheelchair, and the sheep are coming up to her, and they're kind of nudging her with their, you know, their face and... And uh, it was a really sweet time, and, and just to see this whole thing. And, and, and the young boy, he was able to make these sounds to the different sheep, and they would respond to his voice, L- little, little silly things. You know, you know, he'd make these weird sounds, and certain sheep would respond, or he would say, he would do something, and they would all respond. It was, he had complete control, in a sense, over those sheep. But we got to hang out there and have our photo ops, and of course they got, they got a pretty good payday because everybody's giving them a dollar, and they're walking away loaded, you know. So, um, but anyway, Jesse was from this place of Bethlehem, the house of bread, the very place where Jesus was born several um, several hundreds of years later. Notice at the end of verse 1, it says, For I have provided myself a king among his sons. Um, you know, again, God gave uh, Israel what they wanted. In Psalm 106, it says, that God gave them their request. Speaking of the, the Israelites going through the desert, he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And there's a funny thing about desiring something so bad and wanting something so bad. If you keep asking the Lord, Lord, I want this so bad, you know, sometimes you got to be careful because you might just get what you asked for. A lot of times the lord didn 't he never gave me what I asked for because he knew that i couldn 't handle it. He knew that I would do wrong things with it. He knew my heart wouldn 't be right in it but there 's something about when when, when when God really knows that you can handle something and, and it could be a mate, it could be a, a spouse or whatever and if you 're not ready, God may hold off until you 're ready because he cares about not only you but for the the other person so he 's always looking out for you in that way and But God gave them what they asked for because they were just bent on it. And finally God gave it to them and it turned out to be a disaster. So be careful of what you ask for because if if I'm not submitted to God, if my heart is just, I want my will done, you're going to have a really interesting life. And I don't mean that in a good way. Be not so excited about getting your way because I can tell you, if you let God have his way, you're going to be so much better off even though it might, sometimes it might be harder in the long run, if you let him have his way in you, be obedient to him. And guys, we're going to talk about that this next uh, Saturday. Obedience. you know It's important to be obedient to God. Because if you are, your life's going to be a blessing. It really is. And I can tell you that. Because I've been on both sides of the fence. And I'm much happier on this side of the fence. Because I can sleep at night. My heart is surrendered to him as best I can know. And so it's good to do that. I would encourage you to do the same. But I believe that David, that God had David in mind all along. And he was going to be the, because he was from the line of Judah, God had promised or prophesied through Jacob a long time ago in the book of Genesis in chapter 49, as he was on his deathbed and his 12 sons were around him and Judah was one of his sons. He prophesied over him and he told him the scepter or the right to rule this scepter like a king would have shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, which is another name for the Messiah, Jesus, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so Jacob even prophesied that it would that the king, the, the kingly line, would come through Judah. Now Paul was a ben, or I'm sorry, uh, Saul was a Benjamite, but David was from Judah, and that's why that genealogy is so important, because Perez, as we looked earlier, was the son of Judah, Judah, and so David was the rightful king. And it would be through that line of kings that Jesus would come. Jesus came through the line of Judah. He came as a Jew. And his reign will reign forever. His kingship will reign forever. So in verse 2, it says, Samuel says, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And I say and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You know, it's interesting at this point in Saul's life, he and Samuel, their relationship was probably at its weakest at this point because God had told Saul or Samuel to reject Saul on behalf of God and basically tell him that. And I'm sure that wasn't very easy for him to do. And just the thought that Samuel would think that Saul might kill him leads me to believe their relationship was pretty rocky at this point. And again, you know, when, when God tells him to go to Bethlehem and to have a sacrifice and sanctify Jesse and his, his sons, he's going to have to go right through Gabeah. on that route. He's going to have to go right straight through. It's just, there's mountains and it's very uh, difficult to navigate in those areas. And there's a road, a well-worn road going from all these different places. And he would have to go from Ramah down to Bethlehem. He'd go right by Saul. So he's thinking, boy, I'd love to just go somewhere else. I don't want to face this guy. He's going to ask me, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to go and anoint a new king. You remember, you were deposed. Thank you very much. I'm sure that's not going to fly very well. And Saul, because of his disobedience and self-will, he, 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 had, he had shown himself to become unhinged. He was unpredictable now, unstable. And whenever these signs begin to show in a man, that's pretty much the time that he needs to end and oftentimes the Lord is going to call you out of something like that because you're not in a, in a right place. And certainly Saul was not in a right place at all. He had gotten to a, a place where he became un, very unpredictable. But anointing David was the reason for going to Bethlehem. And notice that God didn't tell him just to go go there. And isn't it interesting that Samuel would say, I'm, I'm afraid of, for my life because of Saul. He's going to kill me. And God says, well, just... Uh, take a heifer and go sacrifice. Yeah, that's it. Go and have a sacrifice. You don't have to lie to him. You can tell him you're going to go there. And, and when you get there, I'll tell you what you need to do. In fact, in verse three, he says, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And notice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. Notice the order there. I think this is really interesting first, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. That's that's what Samuel's part was. Samuel, you go out and you you just go. And notice it says when he told him to go to Bethlehem, he didn't argue with him. He went. He went. Saul would have argued. There's a better way to get there. I don't want to do it this week. I got busy. I got to wax my car or something, you know. But he went and he says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. That's Samuel's part. And then God says, and while you're there, I will show you what you shall do. That's God's part. Do you see how they work together? You go and you do this and then I'm going to do this and then what does he tell him? Tell him, And then you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. Very simple, isn't it? The instructions are very simple and yet we make things so complicated. And Samuel, that's why he was such a good man. He was obedient. He just simply did what God had asked him to do. And now God was going to have his choice in the king. And notice that the sacrifice was not the main thing on the Lord's heart. It was to anoint king, anoint David as king. And the sacrifice was and is good, but you know what? The Lord is not so much concerned about the sacrifice as he was about his plan for Samuel going to begin with. Remember in, in uh, the last chapter that we looked at in, verse, in chapter 15, it says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He's more concerned about obedience than he is about the sacrifices. You know, oftentimes we think about the, the things that we have to do for God, and he's like, "You know what? All I want you to do is very simple: Just believe what I tell you and be obedient." And yet that's the thing that we're not. That's the thing that we, we, we bristle against, that we bristle against. We, we, we want our own will done. And yet it's so very simple. And yet it's so elusive sometimes for people, for us. In Psalm 51, uh, a Psalm of David, uh, David in verse 16 of Psalm 51 says, You do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. He could care less about the sacrifice. That's all fine and good. But I love the fact that God encouraged uh, Samuel's faith and says, you know what? Just go ahead and have a sacrifice there. And while you're there, I'll tell you what you should do. It's a nice way to get him out of trouble. And isn't God a God of mercy? Aren't you glad that He's a God of mercy? That He knows your frame? He knows your butt dust, right? He knows you're just dust he's willing to meet Gideon. If you look at Judges chapter 7, he's willing to meet Gideon with his frail faith. God is not so angry with you because of a lack of faith or a lack of trust yet. Believe me, the Bible says a, you know, a, 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 a broken reed, he will, you know, a bruised reed, he won't break, and a smoking flax, he won't quench. In other words, when you're feeling down and you don't really have it, God is not there to break you in half because of what you don't have. He wants to build you up. And yet the world around us, they, they, know, they know nothing of that. And the world around you could care less, honestly. God want, that's what God wants to do. He wants to build you up. He doesn't want to beat you. He doesn't want to make you feel guilt-ridden. He doesn't want to pound you into submission. Far from the, far from the, you know, the contrary. He wants to bless your life. And it really is a blessing to serve the Lord. It's a blessing to know him. He, wants to know, he already knows you, but he wants you to get to know him. And he wants to bless your life. That's his main thing. So Samuel, verse 4, did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. How? So simple. He did what God said. Go figure. And see, that's something that I need to do. And I want to encourage you to do when God speaks to your heart. Or maybe he speaks to you in, in the word about something. You know, you have a conscience. You were born with a conscience. Oftentimes, you know what the right thing to do is. You just don't want to do it. And let me suggest to you that when you have that sense that you're supposed to do something and you know what's right to do it, always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. Regardless, God is faithful to fix whatever else happens if you are doing the right thing according to his word. Does that make sense? It's easy to say, and it's hard to do in practice, That's why you need the Spirit of God. That's why you need the Holy Spirit upon you. I need that too, and you need it too. Are you praying for the Spirit of God to come upon you? You may have the Spirit of God in you. You may be saved. You may be a born-again believer, but believe me, that's just the beginning. We need the Spirit of God poured out on us to, to embolden us, to make us witnesses, to give us boldness. We need that to tell people the truth. Boy, the truth sometimes is hard to speak. You know what I'm talking about. It's easy to tell a lie. In fact, that's why lies are told. It's easy. Temporarily until they find out. And now you've got to spin a new web to cover up that lie. And then you've got to spin up another web to cover that lie. Isn't it better just to tell the truth even if it hurts? I love it when somebody tells me the truth, even if it hurts. Just give me it. Just tell me. Don't sugarcoat it. Just tell me what it is. Do you desire to, do you like like people lying to you? I don't like people lying to me. I'd rather them tell me the hard thing. Because that's how I grow. That's how you're going to grow. If we lie to each other, we're no different than the world. Don't lie to each other. Say the truth in love. There's There's the key to it. In love. Share the truth. Say the truth in love. See, the problem is we don't always do that. We share the truth in bitterness. We share the truth in bitterness. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And again, notice uh, Samuel didn't argue. He went. And God is seeking men and women today who love him and are willing to be obedient to him. Are you obedient to the Lord? or just when it suits you. And as I point my finger out at you, I got three or six of them pointing right back at me because the same thing is true for me. Am I willing to be led by the spirit? Samuel was, God just says go and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. Sounds like what he said to Abraham. Abraham, leave your country and go go to a land that I'll show you. Or well, where do I go? Just get moving and I'll tell you. Okay? no roadmap, Lord? No, just get moving. I'll steer you. Don't worry. I'll tell you. And he does. And he gets straight to the place where God has him to be. That's hard because we want to be in control. I want to be in control. Believe me, if you're a Christian and you're a control freak, you're going to have a very tough time because there's two wills, yours and God's. And God's not going to wrestle with you. He'll work with you, and he's, he loves you, and he's going he's to break you if you're willing to be broken. But if you're so stubborn like a mule you're digging your feet in, you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a tough time. And your life's going to be a wreck and a mess. Why would you want that? But Saul was willing willing to be led by the Spirit. And that's what what worship is. Part of worship is, is sacrifice, but obedience is worship because you're submitting yourself, you're believing in the one who told you to do something, you believe in what he says, and you simply follow it regardless. You don't ask a bunch of questions. You simply do it. And the men were terrified when a prophet came into your town in those days, typically it wasn't a very good thing. He was either going to come and bring a message of warning or even judgment. We see that in the book of Jonah. Remember when he went to Nineveh? What did he tell the Ninevites after, after being regurgitated from this large fish, a whale we presume? He comes in, his skin is all bleached from the acid of the stomach of this fish. He finally walks into the city after he changed his mind in the belly of the whale. He goes into the city, and what does he tell them? Forty days, and you're getting yours. That's what he tells them. You're toast. Forty days. I did my part. I'm out of here. That was kind of his attitude. That's what happened when a prophet came into the town. So they said, are you coming peaceably? In verse 5, he said, peaceably. I'm not going to call down fire yet. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And notice, he consecrated or set apart Jesse and his sons and invited them to this sacrifice. Consecration means set apart. God wants to consecrate you and me. He wants to set us aside. What did he say? He says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Out from a crooked and perverse generation, right? He said that the Babylon, the people of Babylon, we see it in the Bible uh, as we look forward in the the Babylon that's coming in the the future, yet, as we are in Revelation. He consecrated Jesse and his sons. We're going to see in a couple chapters that Jesse had eight sons. In fact, in 1 Samuel 17, it says he had eight sons, and the man. Uh, Jesse was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul, and the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And we don't hear about what the other three or four guys, what their names are, but finally we get to the very eighth, and David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. So verse 6 of our text tonight, it says, So it was when they came that Samuel, he looked at Eliab, who was the oldest son. And in that culture, the, the oldest son, the firstborn, was the heir. He was the one who was to get the, the largest portion of everything. And so it would be very natural for Samuel to look at him. And he was the tallest, probably a good-looking guy. But even Samuel was still looking after the natural things. He was looking like he looked at Saul, like the whole nation looked at Saul. Wow, he's so big and beautiful, and his, his golden locks. You know, I mean, he probably looked like Fabio, I mean, this guy. He just, you know, the, the beautiful hair and the flowing hair, just kind of, you know, like that, and it just kind of swishes. I could have a lot of fun with that. But Samuel looks at this eldest son of Jesse and he's thinking to himself, this must be the guy. This must be the guy. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And it was natural for Samuel to look at him that way because that's the way he looked. they looked uh, at, uh, at, at Saul to begin with. But David was so different. David was so different than Saul. We'll see in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when we get to Second Samuel that David wasn't the kind of man who was self-willed. He was a man who was governed. He loved God. He loved him, and he was willing to be obedient to him. In fact, in Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 17, it says that when the Philistines, when, this is going forward when David was king, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David over king of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold, and the Philistines also went out and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim, And notice what David did. David inquired of the Lord. This is something we really didn't see Saul do too much. But David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines in your hand. And so it goes on and it says that David um, uh, goes against them again. And normally you would think, well, just do the same thing again right? You don't need to inquire this time. God's going to give you the victory again, right? But what does David do? Does he just presume upon God, or does he ask, inquire of him again? And he does. He doesn't take anything for granted. And see, this is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who loves the Lord, who's willing to be obedient, unlike Saul. Saul wasn't an obedient man. He was a self-willed man, but David was of a different character, it says then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim and therefore David inquired of the Lord again and he said shall I go up or and then the Lord the Lord told him you shall not go up but circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, a sound that supernaturally God was going to bring, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And so David did so. Notice, he he did it. It sounded crazy to him. He's never had anything like that happen before, but he was a man under authority, and he knew that. And he's willing to submit himself. And I want to encourage you too. Be patient with the Lord. Be patient and wait upon him. Because impatience, ambition, it'll not only shorten your life, but it'll make your short life miserable. If you are unwilling to be patient and to wait. But verse 7 says back in our text, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature. The Lord didn't mince words. He wasn't looking for a Saul 2.0. He wasn't looking for anything anything like that. God was going to pick the most unlikely of Jesse's sons. Not the oldest, not the best looking. And again, it's very natural to size things up. That's what we do as Americans. We do it every day and we don't even realize it. We judge by the outward By 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 the outward picture that we see, very seldom do we walk by faith. We size everything up in the flesh, in the natural. I can tell who you are based on how you're dressed. I know, you know. We we tend to do that. We tend to look at people and pigeonhole them because of where they're at, how they how they look, how much money they make, what are they driving. We automatically come to these conclusions, and you got to be careful. You don't judge a book by its cover, and that's really the message for tonight, because we're going to see that. You know Samuel standing before Jesse's sons, and you know he's looking at all these sons. You know the lineup, and he's looking at the taller. This must be the one. He looks kind of looks looks like Saul. No, don't. God didn't have um, God didn't have anybody in mind but David. In Jeremiah seventeen, it says the heart is des- deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Do you find that's true of your own heart? It's true of mine. It's desperately wicked. I need Jesus. Do you need Jesus? I need him, even though I know him, and I know his spirit indwells in me, and I hope he does you. I need him. I can't go on a a vacation. I need him every single day of my life. I need the assurance in my heart that I'm a child of God, and he gives that to me. I want to I hear from him as I read his word every day. Get into a healthy, holy habit of reading every day. Systematically, through the Bible. Even if you don't understand it, don't worry about your understanding, okay? Just read through it. Get to know him and pray and say, Lord, help me to understand what this is. David, speaking to Solomon in the latter part of his years, the, the Lord said to Solomon, in First Chronicles 28 verse nine, he says, "The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts." So David, as he is old and his son Solomon is very young, he's sharing that with him, preparing him for being a king and, and providing all the materials necessary to build this great temple. Because God says, David, you can't build the temple, but your son can build the temple. And so David's like, well, if I can't build it, I'm going to make everything ready for my son, that when he's old enough, he's going to have everything ready. All he's got to do is implement. Even the very plans of the temple were given to David by the Spirit, it says, which I think is really interesting. God gave him. And then when Solomon was older, and he began to, he built the temple and he dedicated it. I love what it says as he's praying there, dedicating this thing. Long His father had already passed away, David. He's standing before the temple praying. And what does he say? And this is in 1 Kings 8, verse 38. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone, and he's praying to God before all the people of Israel as they're standing before this beautiful structure. Whatever prayer, God, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, then... When each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, and here it is, then here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. I love that. He knows us intimately. I don't even know myself, but God knows. And you you might think that you know yourself But aren't you betrayed by that when you find yourself in a situation that you didn't know how you'd respond and all of a sudden it happens kind of spontaneously and you respond and act in a way that kind of betrays how you thought you really felt about something? It's part of growing, isn't it? (laughs) It's kind of like the Lord taking the mask off and saying, oh, you talked a big game. You know you said you were all this and if this happens man lord I'm going to be right there and then he allows you to come into a situation like that and you find yourself you know tucking your tail and running away We don't even know ourselves but God knows I'm so glad my I'm in this palm of his hand Aren't you glad that you're in the palm of his hand You don't have to worry So, Jesse called Abinadab, now this is his second eldest son, and made him pass before Samuel, and, and he said, "Neither has the Lord chosen this one, so Samuel's just going to go right down the line, right down the line, Have you, you know the Lord is speaking to him as his sons are being passed before him. you know it's probably like some kind of i don't know, I, I kind of imagine like a little runway, you know Samuel's sitting there on his staff, and these guys are walking along, and Samuel's going to go, well, mm, yeah, could be Lord, what do you think no I haven't chosen him." It doesn't mean that God didn't love these men. You know, God chooses whom he wills. He's got a plan for your life. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep and this, it's interesting, this word youngest is not only so much the youngest, which David was, he was the youngest, but within the word itself is, is, is this idea of unimportance. Because he wasn't even invited to this sacrifice. Wasn't Jesse and his sons the ones that were consecrated to come? So why was David the only one who wasn't invited? How come all the big shots, his older brothers are all there, but Sam, you know, but David out caring for the sheep, he's not invited. David was so insignificant in his father's sight that he didn't even feel it was necessary to call him to it. And I love that, too, because God always seems to choose the remnant. He always seems to choose the thing that the world doesn't want anything to do with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, those God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. David, as this young stripling out in the field, a very hated job, nobody wanted to do it. That's why he was doing it. All his brothers are like, you know, (laughs) that's not important enough for me. I don't want to have anything to do with sheep. David's like, I'll do it. What a great responsibility. As God was shaping this young boy out in the fields. I don't know, I get carried away with this thought, you know, just him. All the time, you know, Saul is ruling and reigning, you know, David is out in the field. He's completely unaware of anything. He's out under the stars at night. He's he's protecting the sheep from the wolves and the bears and the lions with his staff and his rod. He's going through and he's... Protecting them, watching over them, and yet nobody really cared about him, but God cared about him. And God saw something in his heart as he was out there alone in the fields at night, or in the daytime, and even into the evening as he was bringing the sheep home, or even staying out there in the the, the fields at night and building a perimeter around them and staying there with his staff and his rod. And we're going to see David, you know, after he is anointed king, he's going to be very quickly hunted by Saul. He's going to endure a lot of suffering, years of suffering, being hunted by Saul, this one who is jealous of him. And it sounds very similar to Jesus. He suffered greatly at the hands of man. In Psalm seventy eight, Asaph, it's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph, uh, Psalm seventy-eight, verse seventy, it says, He also, speaking of God, he also chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, that, that had young he brought him to shepherd his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness, skillfulness of his hands. And, you know, we don't always know when we're being prepared, but David, um, certainly he didn't know as he's out there in the field. He had no idea that God was preparing him to be Israel's first, you know, the best king, really. He had no idea. God was preparing him. And a lot of times we don't even know either when God is preparing us, bringing you through difficulties and hardships, molding and shaping you, And you have no idea that you're being prepared for something, yet in the future you can't see, but God knows. He's molding and shaping your character. I think sometimes the harder things that people have to go through, God has got something for them. It's not always the the fancy things, the things that are easy. It's usually the things that are really bringing a depth of character in your life. Those are the things that God is using to build and shape you. Don't be discouraged by that. But David was a shepherd. He would be that man going out in the field. A good shepherd would go out into the field and determine whether the field was good for the sheep to graze in. He would look for to make sure there was plenty of good food to make sure that there was good, clean running water nearby, free of parasites and unclean water, just crystal-clear water. He would check to see if there's any poisonous weeds or plants or roots. Because sheep will eat anything. They'll eat anything you stick out there. And they'll eat poisonous plants and die. They'll just eat anything. So the shepherd has to go in and check these things before he brings them into an area to see if there's any poisonous plants. He has to be aware of these things. Are there predators nearby? Is the terrain difficult? You know, sheep aren't the most agile creatures. They don't even really have any teeth. They got these funny-looking teeth that they can't really attack anything. I mean, a three-year-old boy... Is, is, is more of a, a, a predator than a sheep. They're completely defenseless. And yet David, I'm certain, as I, as I think about that moment back when we were in Israel, those two teenage brother and sister herding those sheep, there was a bunch of them, and I thought about every little sound they made, those sheep were uh, privy to it. They were listening, and David knew each one of these sheep by name. He was able to know their temperament. He knew their character. He knew which ones are prone to wander. He knew the ones that would always nip at the other ones. He knew exactly what they were, who they were, probably had names for each one of them, and he would be responsible for caring for them, for their sicknesses, for putting the, the, the salve on their eyes to keep the gnats and stuff and the bugs from getting into, into their eyes. He would remove those things, the ticks, the bugs, the worms, and he'd protect them. And God, all the while, is saying, that's my man right there. Nobody sees him. He's in secret. Only I see him. He's long away from home, but he's out there taking care of things. I'm shaping his heart. See, that's the kind of person, God, he wants to do that in us. He does his best work in secret where nobody can see. He does his best work oftentimes in the crucible of life, the difficulties. Verse 12, he sent and he brought him in and now he was ruddy, which literally means he was reddish. He had like red hair, we believe, and had a red complexion. He was ruddy. He had bright eyes. He was a good looking kid. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. This is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him. In the midst of his brothers, can you imagine how infuriating that was? Are you kidding me, David? You're going to anoint this guy? He was like, nobody. Have you seen him pick his nose? He still wets the bed. Him? You're going to choose him? And God says, yeah, I'm choosing that one right there. All you guys are disqualified. love you, but he's the man. So, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Notice that. Came upon him from that day forward. So, Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. I'm sure he wanted to get that done and be obedient to God and then get back home because eventually Saul is going to hear about it and it was going to be a, a difficulty for him. But notice. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Compare this with verse 13. Notice, the, the Spirit of God comes upon David, but the Spirit of God departs from Saul. And not only that, that would be bad enough, but then it says a spirit, an evil spirit, God allowed it, and there's a, there's a lot here we could talk about, but we don't have time, but God, sent, God allowed an evil spirit to come and vex Saul. Because Saul was not a man who was interested in the things of God, he was interested in his own things. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing or an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Very interesting. There's a transfer here. I don't believe that Saul was possessed necessarily by an evil spirit, but I believe he was being vexed by an evil spirit. See, a true born again believer, if you're born again, you cannot be possessed by the devil. You can be messed with, you can be oppressed, you can be um, harassed and opposed and troubled. But if the Spirit of God is in you, there's no way another spirit, an evil spirit, can come in. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you, meaning the Spirit of God, than he that is in the world. Remember, God is on the throne. He he, he has all power. He has all power. And we're going to see this distressing spirit come on Saul, other times in Samuel, in chapter 18, verse 10, chapter 19, verse 9, we're going to see it happening in, uh, in this chapter in verses 14 through 16, and even verse 23, same kind of thing. And God is in control. I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 32. It talks about God having control over, over demonic spirits even. He would cast them out. He had the power to cast them out and, and actually tell them where to go. They would say to him, are you going to cast us into the abyss? Are you going to you know, uh, torment us before the time? Allow us to go into the herd of swine. And Jesus said, okay. Pigs weren't supposed to be there anyway. And the pigs had more sense than human beings. They ran down the herd and perished in the water in Galilee. But demons don't have free reign. They have to ask God I would encourage you to look at Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Anything that happens to a believer, or not a believer, but anything that actually happens to any of us that is derogatory, they have to ask. They're not just free agents. They can't just mess with you. And God allows certain things to straighten you out, to help you, to get get you to look up. I've noticed that in my own life. He never does it to harm you. The devil wants to harm you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And God will only allow a certain measure, and it's measured by God. You read Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and God says, you can do this, you can do that, but this you cannot do. Be on your way. See, God knows the end of it. He knew Job's heart. He knew what Job would do. It's an unfair advantage that God has, and I love that about him. Because he knew Job wouldn't curse him to his face. Job would hang in there. He would struggle. But in the end, God would give him double what he lost. You can look at that. But nobody tempts God. And God doesn't tempt anyone else. So the servants, Saul's servants, said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. And let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. And you know, godly worship music is something the devil hates. He hates worship. He himself wants to be worshiped. That was his whole problem because the Bible says in uh, Ezekiel 28 that the, the, the pipes and the tablets and the, the, these things, I mean, there was something about Satan that was very musical. And it's no surprise to me. You can read that in Ezekiel 28, by the way. There was something about he was a music man. He was the one responsible, we believe, to bringing, at one point, bringing the worship of all of creation before God. And then he said, you know what? And God gave him the ability to choose of what he was going to do. And he says, you know what? I'm tired of bringing worship to you. I want that worship. I want to be the guy with the electric guitar and the stack of Marshall amps behind me. I want to be Jimmy Page. I want to be Eddie Van Halen. I want the adoration. I want the worship. And that was where his problem was. But it's interesting that David was a very skillful player on the the harp, or it was a a lyre, actually. A a, a guitar-like instrument. And he was able to play because he was led by the Spirit of God. The demons just couldn't, they they left Saul, and Saul really enjoyed that. But the devil hates it. He hates worship music, and he hates it when you worship God. How important is music? It can be used for good or ill. It can be used for the devil, or it can be used for God. What are you listening to? What's the type of music you listen to? Does it glorify God or does it glorify the flesh? Does it glorify sex? Does it glorify just whatever, booze, drugs, pickup trucks, dogs? Shotguns? Confederate flag? What is it? What is music to you? Is your heart bent on music that is not glorifying Jesus Christ? If it is, you're on a slippery path. Because what you listen to affects you. Did you know that? It does. I used to be into rock and roll before I gave my heart to Christ. I was into everything. And I can tell you that that is the truth. It does. What you listen to eventually takes control of your life. Your mind, your thoughts, so true. Fill your heart with worship music. Let that be the thing. Sanctify what you hear. Sanctify what you see. See, that was David. He knew that. And the benefits of that blessed Saul. So Saul said to his servants, provide now for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And then one of his servants, verse 18, answered and said, look, I've seen a son uh, of Jesse and Beth, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with them. And therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, "Send me your son David, who is with the sheep." I mean, think about David's out there in the you know who knows maybe he was out there in the field just sitting there with a you know next to a rock with his guitar, you know. Trust in the Lord. With all thine heart and lean unto thine own understanding. You know, when he's out there and he's just singing to the Lord underneath the stars, and the Lord's just going, Oh, David, love you, man. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. And so David came to Saul and stood before him, meaning he he was there before Saul as uh, helping him, aiding him. And he loved him greatly, it says. Saul loved David. And isn't that funny? He loved him, but it wouldn't be long. And then he would hate him. He would hate him so vehemently. And notice, and David became his armor bearer. And then Samuel, or excuse me, I keep confusing Samuel and Saul, and I probably hate to listen to recordings. I'm probably mixing them up all the time. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. He was very useful to him. A man after God's own heart. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God, and this was the, remember, God is... He has control over all spirits, the angels, the good, and the fallen angels, the ones who followed Satan, Lucifer. He's got control over them. They're not free agents to do as they will whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take his harp and he would play it with his hand and then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. I love that. I love that. You know, what we see in this chapter is just really simple obedience. We see David being an unlikely candidate God doesn't seek out the the fancy. He doesn't seek out those who are noble. He takes the things that nobody wants. Have you ever felt like that? The world doesn't know how to deal with that. I've seen people, and just as an example, I've seen, and actually I know a person, I'm thinking of them right now, very gifted person never went to college but very gifted she could do her job so well and does it really well she really does a great job never spent a day in college and yet there are people who have gotten their master's degree in that very field that she is in and they're not like her they come in with this attitude like you owe me something and because I've got my fancy degree and yet she's got a work ethic and a knowledge and an understanding and, and, and experience that just dwarfs them. And yet sometimes the world will choose the degree. And I never figured that out. An office manager will look at this person with all this experience, all this gifting, and look at this fresh one fresh behind the, you know, wet behind the years out of college who doesn't know anything, who thinks they know everything. And they'll choose that one. Never understood that. But that was David. Nobody cared. He's just out there, forgotten. Have you felt that way? Do you know that God doesn't, that he loves you right where you're at? He doesn't care about your failings. He doesn't care of how gifted you are. He doesn't care what your life has been through. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of his family. Are you willing to be part of his family? Are you willing to love him and be obedient? That's what marked Samuel and that's what marked David apart from Saul. These two men were obedient. I want to encourage you men to be obedient to the Lord. Do the right things. Read the Word of God. Know what it says. Do it. Even when it doesn't feel right. Even when you don't want to do it. Be obedient to the Lord. Ladies, the same thing. Be obedient to the Lord. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this chapter, Lord. Um, You certainly don't need the fancy, Lord. You've always chosen to deliver, Lord, by few. You've always seemed to have chosen the very thing that nobody else wants, that the world sees as refuse. And Lord, those are the ones you set on high places. Lord, you don't care about any of those things. And, Lord, that means that I can qualify to be your servant because I'm nobody. And, Lord, perhaps all of us in this room, if we were honest, we could say, Lord, we're nobody, but we're, some, we're somebody in your sight. And so, Lord, thank you for loving us, and thank you for the example of these people in the, in the, in the Bible, history, real people. And, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to love you, God.